Your sensors are correct. Do not adjust your heading. Your heading. You've discovered the Omega Particle. Streaming to the Alpha Quadrant and beyond. 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 Here's your host. The anchorman of the Federation. The doctor of Dilithium. This is Jonathan Wiegand. Yes, I'm your gracious and humbled host, Jonathan Wiegand, and I'm so happy to be here today. We are covering part two of Making It So, a memoir by Sir Patrick Stewart. And like I said last week, I am absolutely bursting at the seams like a fat kid at a Pizza Hut buffet. We're going back for seconds and we're going back for thirds because we're going to explode with excitement. I would strongly, strongly recommend going back and listening to the first episode of our review if you have not done that yet. It's it's a great recap of just all of his Trek stories and, and experiences. And when I mean by Trek uh, recap, it's just pretty much going over and talking about the stories in his memoir. They're specific to Star Trek or specifically tied to Star Trek. And I, la- I mean, last week we heard about Great stories dealing with Vash and Gene Roddenberry and how he was kind of a dick to Patrick Stewart. And then also um, just a lot of little small Easter eggs, which was great. And this week, I mean, we're going to talk about Tom Hardy, his thoughts on him while they were making Nemesis, while like what could be the last scene of Picard if it was up to Sir Patrick Stewart, how they got him to sign on, even do Picard in the first place, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, how relationship during the first couple of seasons of TNG. So it's just a lot more to get into today. And we're not going to spend a lot of time on this intro, but I will say, put a reminder, put a bug in your ear, as Khan would say. We have our DS9 review continuing this week, so be on lookout for that this weekend. And always please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast, no matter what data pad or hollow novel you're currently using to listen We would definitely appreciate it. All right, Luna, let's get into it. Engage. I mean, I had to, Luna. It's too good not... I mean, when you're doing the last episode on Sir Patrick Stewart's memoir, you got to do the engage. It is. Luna the intern, everybody. And like I, like I just said to Luna, it is our last episode covering his book. So of course, it's going to be a lot of fun and deep dive into it. And so we're now going to get into Patrick Stewart's thoughts and kind of his revelation about First Contact and Tom Hardy in Nemesis. Sir Patrick Stewart was really all about First Contact. He said that Jonathan Frake's direction It was a technical mastery. His camera captured the intimacy of the film's emotional scenes, but he did it in a way that wasn't too intrusive and that First Contact was easily the best-looking Star Trek film to date. And I completely agree with him. It was beautifully made. The lighting, the scenes, the direction, just the close-ups, every directorial decision was just brilliant. So you have to hand, hand it off to Jonathan Frakes for that. And a lot of them, he even goes into like a decision on the famous scene of Picard saying, there, there must be a line here, no further. 
And so apparently when they originally did that scene, Sir Patrick Stewart says, he's like, here, no further. And he like does this big like yell at the end. And Jonathan Frakes comes up to him and is like, hey, just go easy on the yell and just kind of wrap it up with here and no further and see how that plays out. And he did it. it And it was great. And it's kind of an all time classic now with Star Trek. So when Star Trek First Contact came out, Sir Patrick Stewart goes into this monologue about how he was convinced they were on the threshold of establishing this major movie franchise that's going to go, you know, for another 10 movies and it's going to just be this mammoth powerhouse. And unfortunately, we all know that didn't happen. Uh, The next two films to follow it were Star Trek Insurrection and Star Trek Nemesis, which were kind of a letdown. Uh, Specifically, Nemesis was the weakest Star Trek film of the TNG four film series. And it just, that came out in 2002. And that was the last time we saw Sir Patrick Stewart for about 17 years. So we'll get into that in a little bit, how they brought him back. But Sir Patrick Stewart does say he had a lot of issues with the movie that he discusses in his book, but he's the main point is that he said he didn't really have a strong scene in the entire nemesis movie. And that the actor who portrayed the movie's villain, Chezan, was this kind of odd, solitary young man from London. And that young man's name was Tom Hardy. And that Tom wouldn't engage any of the actors or actresses, any of the crew, on a social level at all. He never said good morning, never said good night. He just spent hours and hours in his trailer when he wasn't needed on set with his girlfriend. No wonder it kind of felt clunky. They didn't have any chemistry. He just did his own thing, went back to his trailer. That's it. He wasn't hostile in any way, shape, or form. It was just very challenging to kind of establish a rapport with him. That was it. That's how Patrick Stewart kind of wraps up his actions on set of Nemesis. It was just, you know, he wrapped up his scenes at the end of the evening. He characteristically left without ceremony or niceties and just walked out the door and one particular night Patrick Stewart fondly remembers he leaned over to Brent Spiner and Jonathan Frakes and said there goes someone I think we'll never hear of again (laughs) and I, I think I mean it's kind of like a little on the nose and a little like mean but at the same time they didn't know this guy wasn't really participating he was just kind of there almost a checked out kind of way so I understand why they would think that about Tom Hardy but Patrick Stewart makes it up and says look goes into this lovely kind of explanation of all of Tom Hardy's work and how he's been in several movies like Mad Max Fury Road and The Reverend and Peaky Blinders he even goes into like which movies are his favorite and that he says I would love to have dinner with the man someday just to get to know what's going on inside that brain So even though Nemesis was a dud and the relationship with Tom Hardy was a dud, this really put the nail in the coffin for Sir Patrick Stewart, for him to ever do sci-fi again, specifically Star Trek again. He, He wanted no part of the uniforms, anything to do with outer space, and he was thoroughly convinced he would never, ever play John Luke Picard again. And this is the perfect dovetail to get into how they actually got Sir Patrick Stewart into playing Captain Picard again. 
I don't know if many of you actually heard this famous lunch meeting and, and pitch before, but he goes into a lot of detail that I think is kind of lost now in a lot of interviews and, and kind of what they did during the first season marketing of Picard. We know this lunch and this pitch had Alex Kurtzman, who co wrote like the new Star Trek reboot films with Chris Pine, and a Vic Goldsman, who actually won an Oscar for Ron Howard's A Beautiful Mind. So, I mean, he has some A-list people here, so not, you know, rookies by any sense writing Picard season one and two and three, and they kind of pitched Sir Patrick Stewart at lunch one day, hey, this is how we're going to bring back Jean-Luc Picard. He was instantaneously saying, no, I don't want any part of it. I'm not interested. No, sorry, not your man. Sir Patrick Stewart eventually, you know, at this lunch meeting, was open to their ideas, kind of gave in a little bit. And what he describes as almost a preamble, he goes into about how he was very proud of the work he'd done on The Next Generation and, and proud of the four feature films that followed that. And he enjoyed playing Picard and had kept him close in his heart, but he was done with him. And he kind of did everything he wanted to do with him. He didn't really have anything left and that his journey was complete and for the remainder of his life he was really ready to work outside of Star Trek and move forward as an actor like playing the poop emoji in the emoji movie (laughs) he does I will say this he gets into why he takes like funny comedic roles about like American Dad and things like that and he said people always come to him with comedy because he's such a serious actor I guess with his voice and his demeanor that it's instant comedy if he's just playing something ridiculous. And so that makes sense. It makes when he described it like that, I'm like, oh, it makes sense. So maybe maybe it was just for a paycheck. I don't know. But th- that's not what we're getting into now. <laughs> I am. I'm keeping it on track. We'll keep going, Luna. Got my back. Luna's trying to keep me straight and narrow here. So it's not going to surprise you that when Alex Kurtzman and the gang heard this, they really pushed back on him in a lot of different ways and a lot of different avenues because the and the Picard story wasn't over you know 17 years had passed at this point since Nemesis and that was a long time ago but Picard's life hadn't ended and it could be radically different you know post Nemesis and this very much hooked Patrick Stewart into kind of rethinking the captain's chair again and they kind of started bombarding him with questions and said things like is Picard the captain? Is he still in Starfleet? Was he promoted? Did he retire? Did he have his chateau in France? Did he have a wife? Was What was his PTSD like with the Borg? Did he still suffer that? And kind of all of these questions primarily surrounding Picard's emotional state. You know, he's an older man now. He's changing. And of course, Patrick Stewart really related to this because he was a different man now entirely than when he left Picard in 2002 so he was saying I've developed as a person and explored my emotions more over this past 17 years so I really think it would be cool to look at that in Picard's certain way and that's kind of the hook that got him and so after the lunch meeting and another initial meeting the writer sent him a memo which is about 10 pages long detailing all these kind of ideas and Sir Patrick Stewart agreed to go over it and he talked to his wife Sonny and it was going to be a big commitment for them and a big impact on their lives because currently they were 
tethered and work and living in Brooklyn. And that means he would have to go to L.A. and work and live in L.A. for a number of years. But Patrick Stewart said, yes, I will be Captain Picard again on three following conditions. The famous three conditions if you've never heard of them. Number one, the series would not be based on a reunion of the next generation. We laugh at that now. And this was not due to, you know, a disrespect to do with all the other actors or any anybody like that. It, it was just Patrick Stewart simply felt it was essential to place Picard in entirely new settings with entirely new characters. And, you know, you might perhaps run into somebody making pizza in the backyard, and that would be totally cool. But that was it. You know, that would not be a continual thing. Uh, the second condition is that there would be no serving in Starfleet. He, and he would not wear any uniform of any kind, no badges whatsoever. And the third condition, which is brutal to me, but I understand it, is the series would run for no more than three seasons. And that is the one that definitely hits the hardest because it ended so perfectly and such on a high note. I understand it's really tough for them to walk away, but they've had this kind of plan from the beginning for three seasons. Patrick Stewart's even talking about doing a Picard movie, so I guess he's really excited again about the character to kind of really flesh it out and, and work on him. And he even mentions on the book that he would love to do a Picard movie, not a TNG movie. And we'll have to kind of see if that ever happens, if it comes to fruition. So this is 2023, and in the real world, wherever what time you're listening to is, there is no Picard movie yet, so there might be. I hope there is. But so you might say and ask yourself, like, what happened? that changed his mind about the first condition, about it not being a TNG reunion. And so how did we go from setting that boundary to literally everyone rocking and rolling on the bridge of the Enterprise D and destroying the Borg one last time? So we're going to get into how they got into the reunion themselves. So over the course of Picard season one and season two, the producers really wore him down and really soften that hardline condition regarding who would participate and what kind of reunion uh, the series would be and kind of what, how they would bring everybody back in potentially. And for season three, the wonderful Terry Milatis, by then, you know, he's the Picard show runner and kind of the super most popular guy in sci-fi right now because of what he did with season three. Terry Milatis told Sir Patrick Stewart, hey, the studio wants a full on TNG reunion and he was kind of exactly <laughs> what I don't want bro like that's like my condition what exactly what I don't want but Sir Patrick Stewart was very less resistant to it having worked again with Jonathan Frakes Brent Spiner Maria Sirtis and Whoopi Goldberg on the first two seasons and he's like you know what how would we bring this by and how would we start this process and sir patrick stewart gave kind of an ultimatum he's like look it's essential that they would bring tng characters into the picture because he or she is specifically contributing to make the story progress and it's just not sentimental window dressing that it's moving the story forward that it's advancing the story and that's kind of 
why we love season three so much because if John Luke had changed so much over the years and other members of the Enterprise would too and the writers God bless them they took this to freaking heart and they ran with it and they made one of the best seasons of sci-fi and one of the best seasons of Star Trek ever made and we're not going to go into how they brought all the characters back episode by episode you can listen to our Picard season three review and how they specifically do that but I love that specifically Patrick Seward said we have to bring them back in a legitimate way and a specific contribution so if you watch season three it's almost it gets to a point in the season that every single week someone's coming down the pipe someone's like who will it be this week like who's that Pokemon like that kind of old 90s reference so it's like okay this is the date episode this is the forge episode and it's kind of fun in that way um but it kind of when I when I heard that and I read it I was like this makes perfect sense and it totally opened my eyes about season three but anyway let's get into one of the most fascinating stories that i didn't know anything about and hadn't heard anywhere and i'm sure no one else has either because this is i think purely in the book and this is the alternate ending to picard season three again obvious spoilers if you haven't watched season three of picard but the final scene in which you know the crew is reunited gathered around a table and they're drinking and sharing toast and i think there was even a little shakespearean speech in there given by picard and it's kind of this this old nostalgic crescendo of just gosh it was great uh (laughs) lack of better words and so patrick stewart however had a very different idea which he brought to the writers a few months before they actually wrapped the series up and he said what he'd like to see the end of the show is that John Luke would be content he wouldn't be anxious he wouldn't be in a frenzy he wouldn't be depressed according to Sir Patrick Stewart he said I think that means he has a wife now and you can kind of see to me you can kind of see the the line between John Luke and and Patrick kind of start to blur a little bit and the more as they develop and the more throughout their lives the love factor comes into it and it's and at this point Sir Patrick Stewart has his third wife and Sonny and he's thinking why can't Picard find love shouldn't he have that opportunity and so the when the writers came up with this lovely scene you know it's dusk they're at John Luke's Vineyard his back is to us and you see him taking the view and he has the dog by his side kind of wrapping up just how you know season one episode one started all of a sudden off screen we hear a woman's lovingly voice say jean Luke, supper's ready this is the catch we don't know if that voice is beverly crusher's voice we don't know if it's larissa's voice you know the romulan <laughs> maybe it's someone we don't even know but the voice isn't clear that's the whole point we don't know so it would have been this mystery of who did he end up with type of thing and the coolest part that i really enjoyed about this whole scene would is that he would get his wife sunny to record the lines so i thought that was kind of a lovely cool gesture to kind of close up a card and like i said the lines are blurring a little bit between john luke and patrick and this is another way that this really shows that Sir Patrick Stewart believes that. He wanted to have his third wife kind of be in the show with him. So I thought that was really cool. And so you you may be sitting there driving anywhere you're at 
or at the cubicle and say, well, what happened, Anchorman of the Federation? What happened to this scene? Why was it never shot? Why was it included? Are we going to get in the DVD video or whatever? And actually, this scene was never shot, and Patrick Stewart is kind of to blame for it. He describes the final day of shooting season three in that it was an absolute marathon. It was just a very long list of to-dos, and, and they're about eight or nine hours in, and he realized, hey, this is probably going to be a 16, 17-hour workday, which is absolutely brutal. And he was he's like, I was booked to fly out to New York first thing in the morning, so he actually made a small suggestion to the production team. He said, look, the scene with the dog is going to take no time at all to shoot and to record lines. But it's literally going to take hours to set up the lighting and the green screen and all of that. And look, we don't we don't have these hours, so why don't we just don't shoot the scene today. You know, I, I Patrick Stewart's like, I'll come back at any time you like and we can just take care of it, just me and the dog. And of course, you know, the production team is like, oh, F yeah, we're totally taking that deal 10 out of 10 times. They're very grateful to him and very relieved. And you know, he like assured them, hey, we're gonna take care of this, this final scene. And when he gets back from from New York, like we're gonna do it. But he goes to New York, but he never got the call to come shoot the final scene. So, of course, he makes his inquiries and he makes a few phone calls. And, and finally, someone at the studio told him, hey, we're not doing that scene. We don't want to do it. It's too expensive and they think it's unnecessary. <laughs> and to say Sir Patrick Stewart was kind of offended is an underpoint. He was very offended and he was like, unnecessary? Uh, he's like, it's super critical and crucial to the completion of Picard's art. But, you know, that's the way the TV series ended. That's what they wanted. And it kind of, you know, ended with that toast and that super nostalgic Starfleet moment. And it was beautiful and tears flowed like waterfalls that day. And it was amazing. And I still love it. I love that ending. I Don't get me wrong. I think the ending with his wife, you know, out there calling his, his name and, and saying come down for dinner would have definitely been one of the greatest mysteries of Star Trek. Who he ended up with, was it Crusher? Was it, you know, LaSera? Personally, probably would obviously been Crusher. But to see, like, he's happy, he's content. But I guess he kind of gets that in the end scene, too. You know, he's happy, he's content, he's not anxious, he's hanging out with his buddies. But I gotta admit, that was a really bitchin' scene to see them all playing cards again and it pan up. I think I even mentioned that in my review episode, Luna, in episode eight or episode nine was like, that's how I wanted the series to end. And by God, that's what they did. So <laughs> I'm not complaining at all, but it, it was just funny that he had a big suggestion to close out the show and that he was the reason technically that it didn't happen because he's like, gotta get to New York, sorry. Um, so jumping ship real quick. So going from card season three we're gonna hop back to tng and talk about how sir patrick stewart met Whoopi goldberg for the first time and what kind of brought her back to tv and to the star trek universe so back in the early 90s because she joined on the second season she was a very famous person at the time she was on broadway she was a movie star 
And a lot of people couldn't believe that she would kind of take this almost third-tier supportive character role on this syndicated sci-fi show. It kind of took a lot of people by surprise, and I still think it's kind of random if you think about it, especially in the 90s, how big Whoopi was to be like, oh, she's on Star Trek? Okay, cool. So on the second day of shooting the second season, uh, he found Whoopi sitting alone and asked her, hey, he's like, can I sit with you? And they had this delightful chat, and, and as he got more comfortable with her, he eventually asked her, like, hey, why in the heck in the highlight of your career why in the heck would you come and do a syndicated sci-fi show and then Whoopi kind of immediately goes into how she grew up in you know the housing project in a tough neighborhood of Manhattan and how she watched and loved the original series and, and a big reason she was so taken with the show she explained was that in the middle of the TV screen was a black actress there was Nichols and she was playing Starfleet officer Yohora and, and Whoopi said that watching her gave her hope and pride and said that, you know, hey, one of us made it to the future and, and got into space and, and, and really made something of herself. And I've heard that from a lot of people, how Yohora was such an inspiration. And, and again, after that, Patrick Stewart goes on to tell a lot of stories about how many wonderful times they had on the set with her and how she fit right in with the cast and crew and landed a you know, contribute a lot to the humor on set and then off the set and that only somebody with her gravitas and acting's ability could really kind of anchor Guinan. And I completely 100% agree with him. It was just, she, that was a very interesting role that she really brought to life in so many interesting ways. And plus the, the, the more real-life notion that she kind of could contribute to Star Trek and kind of walk with Nichols is such a cool, cool experience and cool story. So kind of done with the really big, long stories. We're going to hit a little bit of the Easter eggs that I didn't know about. One of those is some of the other actors he worked with, and this is probably the biggest actor he worked with. So if you listen to the DS9 review, you got a little sneak peek of this, but we're going to go into a little detail now. And we all know that, you know, the Star Trek episode... Uh, chain of command the two-parter it's the four lights torture cardassian scene that's the famous episode one of the best episodes of star trek and kind of this face-off between picard and this cardassian legate i think he's a legate the cardassian was actually played by none other than david warner and if you're saying who the heck is david warner that's because you don't know your royal shakespearean company theater very well (laughs) just like me so David Warner apparently was the superstar in theater and back in the 60s and 70s in London is considered today one of the greatest Shakespearean actors of all time. Back in the 60s, you know, David was only 24 and Patrick Stewart was very much close to the same age and they were actually cast in the same play of Hamlet by the RSC. So when they're looking for this role of this Cardassian torturer, it comes down the pike that, oh, David Warner's going to do it. Sir Patrick Stewart just like leapt out of his chair. He's like, oh, this is fantastic. He's my, he's an idol who haven't worked with him, you know, in like 30 years, but by gosh, it's going to be so cool to kind of have this chemistry with this man that was kind of there at the beginning of my career. Now is at like one of the highest points of my career. So it's kind of cool to kind of see that come out again. And I just love that connection. I actually acted with him, 
you know, 30 years prior. And he also acted with a bunch of other cool people like uh, the actor who played Bilbo in Lord of the Rings films. He was on the stage with him, plus just several other great, you know, British actors. There's also some more like odds and ends stories. And um, he goes into detail about how Star Trek fans can be very polite, some of them. And, you know, he'll go into a restaurant or he'll go you know, to anywhere just randomly, and he's normally always recognized. I mean, he's a very recognizable face. Whenever he notices a Star Trek fan, we all have, apparently to him, have this kind of demeanor that we, some of us get real nervous, and we, like, awkwardly look at him, and we get, like, kind of, like, either our face is flushed, or we kind of get pink in the face, and we're kind of just like, oh, God, that's Captain Bogard. And so he always has a very funny and, and just endearing way of interacting with those type of fans and I definitely would be that type of fan but the cool thing about being Patrick Stewart is that he gets to meet dignitaries and heads of state all over the world and one plus person had that exact reaction to Patrick Stewart when he walked in the room and that person was at the time Prince Charles which is now King Charles III and I know that because my wife is really into the royals because yes (laughs) so he said when he met Prince Charles, he was that kind of nervous, kind of shy persona around him that normally only comes as a fan. So he has no idea if King Charles is a fan, but very good, very good hunch that he probably is. There's some other like random stories too that aren't really Trek related, but he goes into a time where in the midst of the pandemic, he takes Molly with his wife, Sonny, and then proceeds to like paint her nails and she records it and puts it on Instagram. And it's just kind of wanting to show a different side of himself, a relaxed side that usually people don't get to see. And they talk about story of, uh, they have this pet squirrel during the pandemic that they eventually trained and got to her to eat in the kitchen with the door open. So I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. But one last story I'll say is, uh, as we kind of wrap up our review and Trek recap on making it so the memoir is Patrick Stewart always had this kind of paranormal thing follow him and he's kind of had all his whole life and the first instance happens when he goes to this kind of tutor kind of mentor with his acting abilities and it's reading Shakespeare and it's probably like hour and a half two hours from his house and he had to catch like eight buses to get there back in the 50s and he said whenever he stayed over this this big house, they had a portrait in his room, and the portrait always glowed. There was always a, a weird glow, and he thought it was odd. And he actually mentioned it to his mentor, and she said, oh, yeah, that happens. And it, again, that was just really weird, and I wouldn't be so nonchalant about that. And then next, he goes into this whole thing about how he bought a house in the suburb of L.A., and it's kind of built into the hill, and that he would hear footsteps all the time. There would be books flying off the shelf. And there's one particular story where his son David was there and had was by the house by himself and, you know, saw a bunch of weird stuff and then vowed to never go back in the house alone. And um, eventually they sold the house and that he didn't know that you're supposed to disclose that type of stuff. And eventually ran into the owners at a party and was like, <laughs> they were like, um, why didn't you tell us this? Didn't know that, but... Apparently they took care of it and didn't have the issue anymore. So I thought that was really funny. Kind of a little Halloween-y, spooky uh, thing, even though it's, I think, November the 2nd or 3rd that this is coming out. But still, I just included some of the fun things. And that has been our entire Trek recap and review 
for Sir Patrick Stewart's making it so a memoir. We are just so delighted to cover this book, and I will definitely read it again at some point, maybe in the next year or two. It was such an easy read, and I strongly recommend go out and buy yourself a copy or download the audiobook. It's, it's just such an easy read, really great. He's a wonderful storyteller, so please go check it out. Or if you can be like me and get an autographed copy, come on from Books A Million. So I'm that is a uh, heirloom right there, so my son will be inheriting this. <laughs> it's going right up there with all my other DS9 autographs. So anyway, that has been our recap and review. So Luna, let's wrap it up. Again, thank you all so much for listening. You've been so great. I just want to say thank you for all your love and support. Uh, I think we're above 22,000 Instagram followers right now. Is that right, Luna? And I'm just completely shocked by that. And we're also in the top 50 or 60 TV review on Apple Podcast charts. So thank you for that. That's just so crazy. Uh, I appreciate all your love and support. And it's been so awesome just connecting with you guys and and being going along for the ride as we continue to grow our little podcast here. And again, real quick, check out our DS9 review coming up over the weekend. And this is a perfect time to jump in. We're, we're just at episode two of season one, so hop on the train. It's going to be a big journey, but we're, we're having a lot of fun, so definitely uh, hop on that. And then also, just real quick, PSA, you know, we're going to lose our daylight savings time because... Why the F do we need any more light? I just, I'm always really upset about daylight savings time, especially when, I mean, we gain an hour of sleep, but do you really gain it? And then it's going to be dark at like four o'clock. But anyway, um, with that is usually seasonal depression. So please remember to keep your mental health in check. You're important. We need you guys here. As we wrap up the episode, as always, everybody, second start of the right, straight on. Till morning.